All right, I want to welcome everyone to the Building Fires podcast. I'm Corey McCain, your co-host, CEO of WeStrive. I'm Farhad Jamayan, the CEO of Canna. Boom. So every week we interview some of the coolest entrepreneurs on the planet. They've had billion dollar exits, absolutely killing it. And we figure out how they did it, why they did it. And we try and get tips for everyone on how to really grow a company. Absolutely. Totally unscripted, casual conversations where we get to, you know, that real deep dive view of exactly what went down. But a lot of fun, really great. Tune in. (laughs) Building fires. Hey guys, been a crazy few weeks for uh, both my company and Farage's company, and obviously all the election stuff was happening, so we took a couple weeks off. Sorry about that. Um, I would have posted a notification or a new episode just to let you know, but I didn't want to like notify you and then have you not have an episode. So uh, we're back at it though with Martin Lean, and he's an amazing founder. You guys are going to love this episode. His company is RespondFlow. They're absolutely killing it. Enjoy. I like to start off the podcast. Farhaj finishes the podcast. So, uh, roll out the red carpet. You know what I'm saying, baby? There we go. There we go. Uh, so, the, world, the red carpet isn't rolled out yet. So, we're going to start off with can you kind of tell us who you are and what Respond Flow is? Absolutely. So, my name is Martin Langela Leon. Um, originally from Norway, moved to the US a little over five years ago. I've uh, been working in startups and um, just small, medium sized businesses. Uh, particularly in automation. Um, so as I was doing that, came up with the idea for RespondFlow, uh, which is uh, the MailChimp of SMS. Uh, we specialize in making sure that we can trigger and uh, create conversations for people to talk to their customers uh, and that way building customer relationships and of course, impacting their ROI. Very dope. Wait, so you moved from Norway five years ago? Yeah, yeah. So I moved here for college. I'd never been to the U.S. before. So when I landed in Oklahoma, because uh, I went to the University of Oklahoma, um, that was actually my first time ever setting foot in America. Dude, there you go. Wait, uh, wait. What's the difference like in the like the lifestyle and like living from Norway versus the U.S.? I mean, oh man, this is going to be the entire hour. I mean, like <laughs> the, the biggest one is definitely like the personalities. Um, and of mm. course, like a lot of different phrases, um, Norway, I would, I, at least now that I've spent some time in America, I would argue that they are very much like people from New York. Um, very, um, I, I would say probably abrupt and maybe a little rude. Um, so, and, and there's certain th- stuff that you just do not do like speaking Great. in an elevator. Yeah. Speaking like, in an elevator. Yeah, I mean that's that's reserved for people who's either drunk or on drugs. So, uh, but when I got here, the first thing that happened while I was going off to my dorm room was this dad turned around to me and was like, "How are you doing?" And I'm like, uh, "That was a very personal question, but of course I'll share my share my heart out here and like tell you what's going on." Really hot. Never been to Oklahoma. Just kind of went on this long rant, uh, and of course got a very like confused look back. So uh, you live and you learn. <laughs> Southern hospitality at its finest, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it's great. I mean, you grow to like it, but at first it's crazy intimidating. I mean, you can probably relate far. For sure. Yeah. People in Dubai have their blinders on very much so like New York. And then when I first came here, it was funny. I, I don't know who I told this the story to, but like I got off at the airport. I had my bags par- like packed, you know, right on the, on the sidewalk and some dude just came, picked it up and walked into the bus. And I'm like, damn, I'm getting robbed. <laughs> like, I'm, 
And then he like nicely places it in the bag area and was like, Welcome to Texas. I'm, I'm really excited for your experience. You know what we got going on here. And I was like, What the hell? <laughs> no, that sort of hospitality is scary, man. Yes. Yeah. No, it's great. I'm I'm still getting assimilated with it. Like I wake up and our roommate, because I live with Farhaj, our roommate will be like, Yeah, I made everyone breakfast. So I'm like, Okay. I'm like, Cool. <laughs> Do I pay you now or like what? Wow. Well, it's it's kind of like I was talking with someone this weekend who was like, I never want to leave Oklahoma. And I was like, You got to move out of your the, the region that you're from. Like, I don't think just your home state's enough. Like, the, the, the region of states or the country that you're from. I think like just being in Oklahoma for a few months and then I lived in LA for three years, it's like, one, I like being able to say that. Like when I'm older, I'll be like, I lived in Oklahoma. It's like people are like, what are you talking about? Um, right. That's unique. Like, oh, wait, what's up? You said that's unique. Oh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I think like the things that you learn in specific areas of the world that you live in are totally, just totally different. Like like, like I said, like the whole breakfast thing and then just like, okay, like, and he's like, what do you want for dinner? And I'm like, dude, it's like, it's like 11 a.m. Like, what, I gotta, we got to plan this out, man. Yeah, he's like planning it out for us. That'll make us a full dinner. I'm like, I'm not used to this, man. Um, <laughs> right no i totally feel that it's been yeah because i mean like i've got the chance to like live a couple places in america of course most of the time just because of college has been in oklahoma but got some time in boulder and in denver uh i got some time in san diego and in chicago uh so it's been like getting to see a couple places but yeah i mean kind of strange to say and i definitely didn't expect this as a 16 year old norwegian dude who had never been to america but yeah oklahoma kind of feels like home I love that for you. I vibe with that too, man. I was going to say, so like, what was like some of the things that you did to short circuit your assimilation process? Oh, oh, I would say like the biggest one was when I got here, um, I got the option to live in international dorms because they were like, ah, you'll, you'll love being with your own people kind of thing. But um, I said, no, <laughs> Let, yep. put me where the rest of the Americans are. Uh, so they put me in the regular dorms, uh, which obviously was crazy weird uh there was no hand holding there so for the first three days uh i had to show up a little early i didn't know about walmart so i spent the first three <laughs> days living under my hoodies uh in my dorm room until my roommate showed up and was like what the actual fuck are you doing like yeah, <laughs> That's so, hilarious. The, yeah. so that, that was like the biggest thing that and got kind of like pulled into a couple different stuff that's gotten like yeah. very stereotypical like joining a fraternity yep. um getting to go to like the the football games and all that stuff but i mean the biggest ones was probably just like going out with friends uh to bars and restaurants and just speaking honestly because yeah um, yeah i mean like you probably you get this totally far i mean like the the language getting rid of the accent is the biggest one yeah, yeah, that's why, like, I just, I did the same thing, too. I, I found this, like, cool fraternity, you know, I vibe with the guys who were a little ambitious, and I, I just, like, made them, like, haze the accent out of me. <laughs> Later, speaking pretty good English, and then, you know, over time, like you said, with just being in great social circles and, like, you know, kind of getting acquainted to it, uh, you, slowly, you slowly but surely and fast catch up. Oh, absolutely. But it's so, it's so unique. I mean, that's uh, like the education system, at least in Norway, it's uh, already structured for you. So you get oh, to wow. apply for what kind of job you want in a sense. Like if you want to be an engineer, uh, like let's say you want to be a structural engineer because you want to work on building bridges, then you could get into a degree that's a structural engineering degree and you have like your course load in front of you presented to you for the next four years. 
Um, so that's what I expected when I showed up here and I met up with the advisor. Um, I was expecting her to like give me my course load, but was, instead was like, yeah, so what class are you taking? I was like, uh, what? <laughs> I came here to, for you to tell me. Like, are you the advisor? Yeah, it's freaking crazy. So yeah, so I ended up just taking some random classes. I ended up studying religion and uh, weightlifting oh in the God. first semester, I think, just because every other class was filled up. Hey, hey, it turns out that was the same class, baby. Yeah, but you know, like I was, I was watching. There was like a Hasan Minhaj Patriot episode, and found out that Norway apparently has one of the most successful like sovereign wealth funds that a nation runs and it's built so much equity per capita that each individual person, if, you know, they were able to access the money that the, the Norwegian like sovereign fund has made on paper is like worth at least a million dollars. Yeah. Each person yeah, like true. in the country? Or? Every person. What? Yeah. Dude. Yeah. It's kind Did of you get into that? What's that about, dude? And then, you know, like... Yeah, I could try. I mean, like, I like it's obviously way above me. I, I, I'm yeah, thinking yeah. more like on the sense of like how how it works and how they structure it. It's very transparent. Like, I'm pretty sure they still have a website up that shows every single cent that is in the sovereign wealth fund uh, at any given second. So if wow. you go to like the oil fund of Norway kind of dot com or whatever. Uh, they have like every single dollar that increases or decreases as the market and investments they've made uh, increase and decrease. So it's very transparent, uh, which is really great. Um, but it, yeah, yeah, I mean, like it, it's like capitalism like, versus transparency, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it still is very much capitalistic. Like they have like the only difference is like, I, I'm pretty sure the um, like the director of the sovereign wealth fund there makes next to nothing, like makes probably 60 grand a year. Uh, they're not trying to like reward it for it. The only thing is like um, the guy that uh, is actually working there. Um, I like he, he came from the same, uh, like went to the same school that my, my mom went to actually. Uh, wow. And he like, so they, so they, he, she, like she knows of him. Uh, did, I'm not sure how close they are. I think they celebrated like New Year's once together. Um, and she mentioned a little bit about him and he's like, yeah, no, he got like three PhDs. He basically just became the director of it because he had ex like exhausted every other way to get some sort of like fulfillment in like out of life. I'm like, this is like the highest office I can do. Don't care about the money. Just want to do it because it's the hardest job and you get to meet like the CEO of Apple. And uh, it's pretty interesting. Well, yeah. That's a good, that, yeah, there's a random, random fact that I just learned. Fact um, so when it comes to respond flow, like what, why are you doing this? Like what, like where did this idea come from originally? Yeah, so I uh, came up with it while I was working at a medical device startup. Um, so was heading up sales there and biz dev. Um, and we were having like great success getting in front of people with ads uh, and marketing. Uh, but the biggest issue was getting people to actually pick up the phone at the time that they had scheduled. Um, and we did a bunch of research around it, figured out. Uh, I actually got so frustrated with it that I called up a bunch of people that just didn't pick up the phone. Um, and got in front of them, uh, and obviously probably a little rude, but when I got in front of them and asked them like, so what happened? I thought you were excited. We were super excited to talk to you. Um, what, what happened? Um, and it kind of got like the majority answer there was, um, they're afraid of robocallers. Uh, so oh. because they didn't know the number, um, they just didn't pick up. 
Um, that was obviously a big issue. Uh, so basically just got back with the team. We decided, okay, let's try sending out just a text message ahead of time. Just like, Hey, this is Martin. Super excited to learn more about you. Excited to get you into more comfortable prosthetic socket and so on and so forth. Um, so by doing so, we saw an instant conversion rate increase of 233%, which was oh. insane. And I was like, this is such an easy fix. Um, <laughs> the only issue now was every single uh, salesperson was now spending, of course, a majority of their time sending these messages while they were on phone calls, getting the names wrong, getting the numbers wrong and having to manually do it. Um, cause they were doing like four of these calls every hour. So, um, when we like basically got to the point where, okay, this is becoming more of a burden than it's helpful. Um, we, I was like, okay, I need to think about, okay, there must be a way to automate this. All that you need to do is automate a personal text message, uh, from a local phone number to the customer coming from the rep that's trying to connect with them. Um, and the biggest thing there is it needs to be triggered with a set delay after a Facebook ad. It needs to also allow the customer to text back and call back, um, kind of like what you would expect from just email marketing. Right. And that's been around for decades, um, already allowing this sort of like personalized outreach and then allowing the customers to just respond in a personal way as well and get connected to the right people. So, um, but yeah, no, I tried every single tool in the market, uh, for about four months and wow. not a single thing, uh, did what we were trying to make it do. Um, and I was getting increasingly frustrated. Uh, I'm pretty sure my boss was getting increasingly frustrated with me. <laughs> so, uh, we got to the point where he was like, okay, I, I just need to figure out a way to build this because it, it cannot possibly be this hard. Uh, figured out a way to just like code a very basic, um, basic prototype uh, with the help of our kind of one of my co-founders now, one of the smartest engineers I know, Austin Graham. Um, yeah, he's, he's a baller. He's the best. Uh, and building out just like a basic prototype, but still took like three weeks to even get like a static solution that allowed the customer to text in uh, and call in and for us to just call out, like text out a very basic like reminder. Um, and as soon as that was done, the marketing team got back to us and like, Hey, yeah, so we kind of want you to change the wording on that. So we had to scrap it, start over three weeks later. We finally had something again, it was static. It had taken us a month and a half and it was just personalized in one way. There was no inbox. So we couldn't see what they texted back. So it was like a mess. And that's probably when I had the epiphany and I was like, okay, this is not possibly a hard enough problem for like me to be the only one to have it. So what if we just build a very simple way for people to do this completely no code and allow them to just get a phone number right away, get to start connecting, setting up automations, much like what has already been kind of proven out and people are familiar with, with email marketing, uh, but just keeping it super personal and through text messages. Um, and yeah, so I, I was at the airport, uh, in Newark on my way home to Norway for Christmas, uh, in December of 2018. Uh, and I'd called up Austin, uh, there was like 30 minutes before my flight was leaving. So I was getting, uh, pretty stressed cause I don't have any connection when I'm in Norway. I can't at least call people in America anyway. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> which is frustrating. Uh, but finally got a hold of him. I was like, okay. Listen to me for 30 minutes now. Um, at the end of the 30 minutes, he was like, okay, let's, let's just go. Let's do it. We got this. 
Um, so we started building it over that Christmas, uh, continued to kind of ball on. Uh, as we were growing, we brought on uh, the two other co-founders as well, uh, Matt Moore uh, and Peter Daggett. Um, yeah, so it's been, it's been great. And ever since it just continued to ball on grow, uh, we launched the original version in June of 2019, um, and saw like profit within the first two months and continue to grow about 60% month over month ever since. And then, uh, that was still, while well, everybody had full-time jobs. We were just living together in OKC in a startup house, uh, just kind of grinding at it while we like nights and weekends while we all had full-time jobs. Um, and then finally we got to quit our daytime jobs and go full-time on this when we closed our, uh, pre-seed, uh, now May, 2020. Woo woo. Yep. Like a, how I built this episode, like it's beginning, good. like, yeah wow he they, they just went like fuck it we bought fuck it we built <laughs> <laughs> no that was the thing i mean i didn't even try to build it it was legitimately just like i just want a solution so amazing. Uh, but i guess like that's that's kind of the best premise for building anything i feel because then you know it's not like oh yeah i hope somebody might find this useful it's like i find this critical and i need You're this. your own end customer and you know exactly what that pain felt like like yeah that's, that's all yeah that was, that was super important. I mean, it, 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 it's been an adventure. Like, it, it sounds like a struggle, but I, you guys can totally relate to this. I mean, it's yeah. more just like a hobby that you get the privilege of doing every day. So, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Dude, that's dude. so accurate. Beautiful. I'm writing, wow. I'm writing can we, that down. Yeah. Can we, um, I'm going to change my Twitter bio. Too. <laughs> 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 no, but it's been, it's been fun. Like, it, it's like, obviously, you sacrifice certain stuff, but it's like, if you enjoy doing it, it doesn't really feel like a sacrifice. And especially yeah, if you're doing it with people that you love spending time with. It's like, it was basically just me and the boys in a living room in OKC. Uh, with Lil Rocky, Chief Dog Officer, right? Right, right. In Rocky, we cannot forget the Chief Dog Officer. Yeah, Rocky, <laughs> Rocky was instrumental in ruining every customer call we ever had. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he's got some nervous tics, so he always yeah. starts making peeping noises whenever we're on the phone. So he's, <laughs> and then he spins in circles. It's That's, hilarious. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I was going to that CEO, dude. Yeah, CEO. What, so how did you go about hiring the, um, the after it was you and Austin, obviously, like how did you go about deciding that Peter and, uh, you said Dan, what was Matt. Matt and Matt? Yeah. Um, how did you go about deciding that these two were the right fit to be your other co-founders? Yeah, so I mean, like as we were building this, I was basically just like, okay, uh, I think this might be a cool side hustle. This was like very early in 2019 uh, that it was just like me and Austin. And then I would just like sit at coffee shops. At that time, we were building just a bunch of small projects. Uh, I think I was running a small consultancy on the side as well. Uh, Matt was doing something similar. So we just met up and was working together at coffee shops. And I think at one point, Matt was like, dude, like, you keep talking about this responsible thing. Like, can I help out? And I was like, okay, well, I mean, I know you're like a kick-ass marketer and I struggle so heavily with building websites and uh, like handling the marketing side of that. So how about you just come on? We'll just start testing it out. You're more than welcome to just sit in and help us out. And that's kind of how it started. It was just like, okay, we, we need some help here. You can totally help us out there. Let's go. Um, and the same with, thing with Peter, um, it was like, he was, um, basically we got introduced, uh, earlier that year, um, hung out a little bit, 
Uh, we also spent a lot of time at coffee shops. Uh, and suddenly it wasn't just me and Austin talking about Respond Flow. Suddenly it was like me, Austin, and Matt talking about Respond Flow. Um, and then suddenly Peter was like, okay, well, hey, can I just like help out in any way? Let's just go. Uh, like I, I would sell this like anything for you. Like, let's go for this. Um, I was like, hell, let's do it. So we, we kind of just organically came together. It wasn't necessarily something that was like, oh yeah, we are trying to start this together. It just came on as like necessary positions kind of popped up as like yeah. the product evolved. And uh, yeah, it was the perfect fit because we all knew each other. We were all super ambitious people and everybody had such a weird like background in a sense. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm just like a like a weird immigrant from Norway. Uh, Austin was like the youngest uh, professor in OU computer science history. So he's what? definitely, yeah. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he is badass. Yeah, I have no idea why he's with me, uh, but. <laughs> oh, how old and, is he? So he's, he's 25. 25? And he used to be a professor for computer science. Dude, he's a baller. Yeah. That's yeah, no, he, he was like studying his PhD in machine learning and sentiment analysis uh, when I somehow convinced him to drop out to do this instead. So I, yeah, we do not deserve Austin. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then Matt was like the youngest uh, professional Pilates instructor in the world. Uh, and Peter was a three-time NCAA gymnast champion yes. from OU. It, it literally sounds like the start of some like, uh, like, like, like no, like a secret Asian movie where they have to pull together, like, <laughs> like they you never expected these four people to save the world or something like that. Like, <laughs> like, like, that is literally what it feels like, and everybody has such a different personality. Everybody has different backgrounds and different connections, and I think that is what made it so perfect. Like He's there hasn't been a single big like conflict that hasn't been like um, that we haven't just like forgotten about or gotten over like the same day it's like yeah. even living together working together and we still are in Tulsa like living together, and yeah. working together every day that's what like people don't understand how difficult of a relationship that's to manage when like living and working bleed in together consistently and yeah. to be have strong opinions like loosely held in your sleeves and to like remove the emotions you know out of the conversations because you could still be pissed at homeboy for the dishes and take it out on customer support. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. No, that's exactly what it is. It's so hard to turn it off. Or in the living room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, how do you guys manage that? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, we were just like, hey, dude, this is the single rule. We'll have all of the tough conversations that we need to have as early as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always still growing pains, but we found out that, like, when we just get it out of the way, there's, like, there's no holds barred. Like, emotions kind of brew into something. Like when you let it like faster, like when you let it sit there. So we just have the policy of like radical candor amongst the team. And we're just like, hey, if you have like an issue with anybody or there's something that needs to be talked about, like make it known that it's a priority. So like, you know, we can make times in our schedules to catch up and be like, ah, you know, my bad. Yeah, um, I love that. Yeah. Once you get to that position, though, you become a super team because right. like all these conversations you can have, you know, really kind of um, what is it, passionate discussions about where everybody voices their opinion, but as soon as y'all get to the same uh, kind of decision, you know, everybody's like, okay, bet. Like, that's the move, you know, right. the past. No, uh, that's great. Yeah, I think, like, that's, like, probably one thing that we haven't, like, intentionally done, but that I think has just worked out. Like, yeah. uh, there's always some people who's, like, more prone to conflict or, like, more, like, I guess, unafraid of just confrontation. 
Um, yeah. And of course, that's like probably the biggest balance. But just like if everybody understands what the other people need uh, and kind of like understands the dynamic, then yeah, everything works out. Um, yeah, I mean, like I, I would never be able to have done whatever we did without all four. Uh, like it, it's it's such a strange like combination, but it's a combination that just ended up working out great. Um, and yeah, no, it's kind of like your team as well, Fars. Like it's like you could probably feel to the the kind of like the diversity that is in the team. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like the chief ray of fucking sunshine. You know what I'm saying? Like. <laughs> Vibes, and that's my full time chief. Job. Oops, I forgot about that officer. That's <laughs> <laughs> not me, chief. Oh, I, uh, I'm in LA, but we have a podcast on Monday. Officer, <laughs> <laughs> officially, um, so one thing I wanted to ask you about was how has your day to day role changed from like, uh, let's say like last June when you had your first product come out versus now, like how because you have a full team now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, now it's grown to, to 15 people. So, uh, yeah, no, it's been fun. It's been fun. Oh, you got the whole anxiety? Respond. Yo, dude. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Who doesn't? No, but that is like probably like the biggest change. I mean, I would say my role has gotten more into uh, vision, which is probably where I should have spent more time the entire time. Um, vision, of course, I'll still handle all the ops. I uh, still have my hands in running payroll still do all the accounting, still do all the invoicing, um, that sort of stuff. Now I've gotten um, a great guy with me, Roland, who's been helping me a lot. Um, but it's been like with the team, like we all had our own areas of expertise where we were kind of like filling the void. And as we've been hiring on, we've basically been able to just like kind of supercharge that. But it doesn't really relieve us from wearing those hats. Um, so it's, I would say it's still like a lot of HR, a lot of, uh, just operational stuff that needs to happen, like paying your taxes, doing all the filings, right. Um, but I mean, yeah, no, I totally feel you far as that, that anxiety never disappears. Yeah. I just give it to boot to do. And I just like, <laughs> look at the oh, man, like I man. Just press the payout, like, you know, <laughs> I can't hear it, but it's around the corner. I feel it. I know y'all are feeling it too. We're getting to that ramen profitability milestone. You know right. what I'm saying? It solves the payroll problems. And we just sit on the float. Like, it's exactly around the <laughs> No, but it's hard. I don't think anybody will ever get to the point, like any business owner will ever get to yeah. the point where it's not like, okay, yeah, this is stressful. But I, yeah. it's also like, if you are, then you also aren't growing fast enough. At least that's what I feel. Like, if you aren't hiring for the future and planning for the future, uh, obviously with moderated like uh, moderation but um if you aren't bringing on the team that's going to get you to the next stage then you're never going to get there so uh, bringing yeah. on great people and bringing on the right uh people for the right prices like everything dude I've, i was i've been listening a lot to uh you know what the what the homeboy keith Roboy has to say um <laughs> you know, the partners of founders fund but you know, he talks a lot about his kind of sabbaticals at square open door you know, PayPal, a lot of the big companies he was a part of that went on to become, you know, multi-billion dollar generation defining businesses. And he talked about this concept early on in Teams where he defines people as either barrels or ammo, right? Somebody who's an ammo is a go-getter, but, you know, for them, they need to have a very specific siloed task and milestones to hit, you know, so they can just go out there, shoot in exactly one direction and keep hitting the target. And then the other person who's a barrel is usually what startup co-founders are. There are people who wear multiple hats, 
you know, you give them one higher level task and they're malleable enough to do whatever it takes to the multiple dis- like, you know, directions to get to that end result and make it happen and then pass it over to the ammo to make sure that process, that flywheel keeps going over and over again. And, you know, I've like personally been thinking about, you know, what kind of like, you know, lopsided distribution of barrel to ammo really works well for early stage startups and how you scale that upwards. And I'm curious, like, if you've been thinking in the same vein as you build out your team, you know, and starts to gain more accounts, it starts to grow. Absolutely. No, love that analogy, though. Like it's, um, yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I, I would say like right now, uh, for the stage that we're in, and I, I would say like all of us are in, uh, like when we're still early, we're still building it up. Um, having people who's super independent is almost yeah. critical because there is no time for like bureaucratic layers uh, at this stage, um, which is probably one topic that a, like very few kind of like career advisors and stuff talk about. But there's always this talk about, oh, yeah, I want to work for this exciting startups that's changing the future or changing uh, how the world will look, but it's like, yeah, but you also have to realize that you will get no guidance <laughs> and you need to be yeah. super comfortable with that uncertainty. And especially like if a, chi- if a shift happens with uh, like what the product might have to do, pivots that might happen down the line, having people on board at that early stage that's able to cope with that massive change uh, is so critical. Um, so that is one of the key things that we hire for, uh, making sure that everybody is uh, like has some sort of like entrepreneurial spirit. Um, mm. And I, I personally love to hire people who has told me openly, I am not going to be with you for long because I want to start my own thing. Dang. Like that is the, I mean, now Dang. I'm kind of giving the secret for interviewing with me, but that is gold to my, like my ears. Like I, I love that. Like we asked that in our interview questions with all of our developers and I encourage them. I'm like, yo, like tell me exactly. So we know how to launch pad you to your definition of success in your career, you know, right. and it's a different energy, man. You know, people are it excited really every day. They're cranking it out. They're putting out the looms and, you know, every conversation is constructive, but at the same time, pretty like exciting. Exactly. No, that, and that's so key because it's like, okay, yeah, you know, you're going to have to do some mundane stuff, but when you come down to it, like from the day to day, if you're sitting there with like an internal passion and ambition, knowing that, okay, I know I will use this knowledge to go on to build something amazing myself, then that drive is so hardcore. And that's, that's what gets like the team to be like, oh yeah, no, hey guys, how about like, we just pick up a couple six packs and we just sit at the office for a couple more hours or suggest like, hey, how about we just work through the weekend? Could we do that and just like eat some pizza? Is that okay? And I'm like, oh, of course. <laughs> so yeah. it's, uh, it's crazy, but that, that's like, obviously you can't as a founder or like a CEO go out there and expect people to do that. Uh, it kind of has to come innately from the yeah. team and from the excitement of the idea. And of course, from their, they're like, yeah, wanting to learn. No, absolutely. And that's actually, I'm glad you guys were bringing that up. Cause I actually, I mean, I have a full team that I've been working with, but like I've never hired a co-founder and I've attempted to like 20 times. And every time I'm like, okay, I would rather do this task myself or like, I'll start to like kind of work with them. And then like, it just becomes very apparent, like immediately that I'm like, okay, this is something that this person could not do by themselves. And I don't have time to walk them through. Like, like you should be able to figure out X, Y, and Z step on your own. The fact that you haven't yet is very apparent to me. And I just started working with a guy who is already going like, give me a project and I'll do it. And I'll give him like a topic of a project and he's already like crushing it. And I'm like, I have found my COO. <laughs> and it's like, they could be, they could be 
so happy. I'm like, yes, a person that I could literally just give a task to and they can figure it out on their own. I don't have to be like, yeah, and that's how you pull up Word. You know what I mean? Like, just like stupid stuff Dude. like that. Um, <laughs> no, that is such an underrated thing. Like having to do handoff, like the less amount of detail you have to give, like that is, yeah, it, it's something that, yeah, again, nobody really thinks about until you're there, but it's so important. Uh, it's, so dude, it's congrats. Thank you, man. It's become my number one thing. Like this, this uh, one of our trainers uh, has started to like take on more tasks and she wants to like, um, we're doing like a little like uh, like trainer training thing and she wants to take it over and she took it over for a second. Like she already built out this full page of like descriptions of how we're going to approach it and like all these strategies. And I was just like, yes, <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Because like I said, I've had people in the past and I'm like, yo, I had to, I hired you for this. And then I basically did the entire setup and then the execution. And then you just did all the bitch work. I'm like, I don't need an assistant. I need someone to like, to do this, you know? Um, so anyways, we can talk about that for hours. But one thing I wanted to ask you is, you don't have to be specific about it, but how did you guys decide your equity split early on? Because that's always a big problem with founders is figuring out like how to properly distribute equity amongst um, the co-founders or early employees. Yeah, no, dude, I'm really happy that you asked that. That's actually one of the approaches that we did that was pretty unique. Because, um, of course, early on, we started it, um, like, kind of just with, like, me having an idea and just being like, okay, I'm willing to back this personally with some some life savings. Um, but I'd been through uh, starting a different, like, couple projects in the past uh, where nothing is really planned, you know? Like, you you just start an idea, you have just, let's say, two people, and you're like, let's do this 50, 50. Um, and then later down the road, as like the company matures, you realize, okay, well, shit, this is now me doing 90% of the work and then 10% is being done and you end up kind of feeling scorned. So, uh, yeah. So an approach I did was, uh, actually something that a mentor, uh, talked to me about was starting the first year with just profit share, uh, giving like, of course, a healthy portion of the profit share, uh, as a percentage. And then doing a like full on co-founder onboarding at the end of that year. Um, so that way everybody knew, hey, obviously this will be determined by the work done by like the in like kind of efforts put in. Um, and then we will all discuss together at the end of the year. So that's kind of how we approached it. Uh, it just started that way. We also made it a little easier for just bootstrapping it. Um, yeah. They knew that I would have to cover it. I knew that I had to cover it. So I just put a bunch of like the money that I was making at my daytime job away to know that that was like the response flow fund uh, for the time being. And everybody also knew like, hey, for the efforts, like if we can bring this up uh, and hence why we were focusing so much on profitability, like if we can bring this up, then of course the profit share gets paid out monthly split between you guys. I take nothing. Uh, you guys get whatever profit share is, uh, is kind of divided amongst you. Um, and I mean, it definitely was the right move, like retrospectively thinking about it, like not only did we get to the point where we have the four that we have now, uh, but like through that year, we had like three other guys that was also wanting to help out, didn't end up working out as well. Um, just because of like differences of interest, differences of kind of like passion about it. And then also just like some cultural differences. Um, yeah. so, and, and that was like, now we have like the team where yeah, I would die for any one of the guys that's here right now. I know they would do the same. Like it's it's really like the ride or die people. Um, and I know that we can go so far with the team we have now. And there's not that uncertainty. We've already tested it through. We've already gotten to this conclusion. So um, yeah, yeah, I've never 
and anything like that's awesome and you know honestly it just makes all the sense in the world <laughs> yeah i mean there's there's definitely downsides like there's always like the uh uncertainty like oh wow am i am i going to be a part of this like after this year and like yeah, those questions yeah. come up and of course like that can bring like uncertainty for the long tail exactly exactly and that's like where it's like okay i understand that it's like you are putting an effort you're like we're going to talk about this together we're going to make it as fair as possible um but just know that like this is something that i would expect you to do as well if you were the one financing this and and kind of came up with the idea uh, and was pushing to like building the team around it like it's just like something where it's like you you get what you work for in a sense mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean definitely not something i've heard a lot of other people do as well but i'm very happy that we did um and i know that like at least for the guys that we are with right now and like the co-founders of the team like it's uh it's definitely been the right move i think if we split it at the very start it would have been um very very unfair yeah no i think i mean i've done this I mean, Farhaj has been with me for like 15 episodes. I've done 80 of these, and I I usually interview founders when I when I did it earlier, and that's the that's the most unique way I've heard of Bessie yeah. scheduling for uh, for co-founders. So, uh, cheers to you. You know, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I can't take all the glory. That that comes from a mentor. So, yeah, no, awesome. Well, I mean, I was gonna say, you know, another interesting segue, but how Martin and I first met was actually through. The situation at the place we're at right now, which is the Stitch Crew Thunder Launchpad Accelerator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've always had conversations about you know the Midwest, the South, the startup ecosystems here, access to venture capital and investment. And you know, as an immigrant founder building, you know, well, you're an immigrant. Uh, yeah, I'm an immigrant. <laughs> no, but like on your end too, Martin, like, you know, going through the fundraising journey, building out the narratives, understanding what longevity looks like, while at the same time motivating your team to get the end results, you know, mm -hmm. while the ecosystem initially when we started wasn't just there yet, we're seeing a lot more activity now. It was like, what was walking through that fundraising process like? Um, how were you approaching it? And, you know, essentially, like, what were the big wins that, you know, just uh, let, let you rest a little easier after? Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. We've talked lengths of this. Like, it's been, yeah. <laughs> it's it's been a, been a journey. A, been a barbecue. It's me and Martin in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, yeah. It's talking to the state of venture capital. <laughs> yep. Yep. I mean, you're totally right. It's gotten so much better in the last couple of months. Like it's, uh, yeah. but yeah, when we were going through this, there really wasn't that many options. Um, yeah. And like, especially while we were going through like Stitch Crew and, uh, and the Thunder Launchpad, which was an incredible experience, uh, getting to pitch in front of everybody towards uh, demo day. And uh, of course, yeah. the help of Erica, Chris and, and Gabby. And, um, kind of learning from their experience and having them give us like the harshest possible feedback to our pitch decks. Uh, that, that definitely saved us a bunch. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, like we were going into it a little unique because at that time, like that we started with uh, working uh, with the Thunder Launchpad, uh, we were actually still under the impression that we were just going to have this as a side hustle, that we were just going to all do our full-time jobs, like all live our lives. And then we were going to yeah. get the company up to like, a hundred thousand in MRR and we were just going to live our days. Right. Um, obviously that was ridiculous. Uh, but <laughs> we, uh, towards the end, I think it was like a month before demo day. So like probably like two thirds through the program, uh, was when we were like, 
hell, why don't we just like put an ask out there? What would it look like if we raised 500,000? Where could we be? Um, and as we were talking about it with the guys, we were like, fuck it, let's do it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) prepare the pitch deck, deck. uh, but yeah, no, we had some, uh, some really unrealistic uh, thoughts, like, uh, the startup that I came from previously, like we, I just like been a part of them racing $4 million. So I was like, oh yeah, no, this was quick. Like it took us no time at all. Like we got this within two months. That is how easy it is going to be for us too. Um, so going through it, making all the pitch decks, of course, reaching out to hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, and at the time I didn't even have a visa. So like for, uh, like the risks there as an immigrant founder, like that was probably the biggest one. Like I was at the time just using the ESTA visa program, um, which allowed me, yeah. yeah. Is it cutting in and out? No, no, no. I said to come in and out. Oh yeah, to come in and out. Yeah, yeah. So, yes. yeah. So actually, at the time, I had to um, like basically start a consultancy in Norway uh, called Vida Holding, and I was working for the startup that I was working for through a contract that basically made me have to be in Oklahoma for three day, like three months at a time. Yeah. That was the max. So then I had to fly back and forth like four times. Uh, just working there. So it wasn't the most ideal, most permanent situation. Uh, and that definitely didn't look good for fundraising. Um, but like going through and just getting in front of people, I would say was probably the biggest challenge. Because um, yeah. like putting together stuff, yes, we thought we were like killing it with 60% growth month over month and that we had like profitability and all that. But it's like, still like the magic of small numbers like when we were yeah. sending our first pitch deck we had like i don't know like a thousand in mrr um which was obviously nothing like thinking back at it but for us it felt like we were like millionaires right like um, people are paying we, for products and yeah people it every month exactly exactly and that's the thing i was like okay well guys you guys are lucky you get to come in on the ground floor here like we're gonna go like worldwide here uh and pitching that vision um was probably the most important thing like i I mean for seed and pre-seed investors that seemed to be like the biggest thing they didn't really care about our current progress except for the fact that we had any uh they cared more so about like how does it look three years from now? And how will I get my return on investment uh, that is at least 20x? You tell me that. And I was like, well, holy shit, we, we just decided to race. So <laughs> there was like a lightning challenge of having to learn how to answer those questions, go through it. Uh, I mean, Eric and Chris was instrumental in going through that kind of Q&A process ahead of time. I mean, shit, Farhad, you killed it as well. Well, you were like giving us solid advice throughout the entire process too. Oh, so. It's yeah, been, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but I mean, I would probably say like, it's a long, uh, long winded answer here, but yeah, I would say like, it was really strange up until, uh, and obviously it took like six months longer than what we anticipated. Um, but ultimately it, it all like kind of worked out in the end last minute. So, uh, it, <laughs> it was more or less like a movie. And Farj, I've, I've told you the story plenty of times, like how we ended up kind of closing the round. Is that something you guys wanted us to share? Or? Yeah, go ahead, man. We'd love to hear it. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so uh, we had basically gotten like six months down the line. We started um, doing due diligence with a couple different investors after demo day in November. 
And we had been talking to them back and forth and talking to various different investors throughout. Um, and eventually we had just two investors that we were like talking to that was like, okay, yeah, they're going to co-invest together 250K yeah. each. Um, and that was going to close out our round. Um, and we were going back and forth and everything feels like, okay, yeah, no, they have decided to invest. They're ready. COVID hits, uh, and the Friday ahead of the decision deadline on Monday, uh, we get an email from one of the investors, um, and they were saying, I'm sorry, uh, but we will not be able to move forward with this investment. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to back previous investors like investments cause we have more money tied up there. Um, so sorry, wish you the best of luck. And naturally, they also CC'd uh, the other investor just to make sure that there was a nail in the coffin there. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, that was a little brutal. Yeah, I blame Tom Hanks. <laughs> like, <laughs> you no, I, would, I do too. Yeah. Press him every night. No, but wow. uh, <laughs> no. So we, I was, I was sitting in the office uh, at my daytime job, uh, just reading that email feeling the the kind of like cold sweat rolling down my uh, forehead there and being like, oh shit. Okay, so we yeah. are just about like to quit our jobs. We were all about to go full-time. Now I have to go back and tell the guys, yeah, I know we were about to celebrate, but uh, yeah, that's not going to happen. So uh, we were going to buy some champagne on the way home. I was like, yeah, no, I got this email. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to sit everybody down and celebrate. Um, I ended up stopping by the liquor store and buying some whiskey instead. Um, finally, <laughs> finally walked in. I think they, I think they read it on my face, and of course, they also got the message when I brought whiskey instead. But um, so I basically said, "Okay, everybody, just sit down. Um, let me just share the news." Obviously, everybody got super stressed. Um, like one of the guys even like walked out and was like, "I cannot do this anymore. I'm so frustrated with this. Like we've been trying to fundraise for six months now. Not going to work out." Um, and like, it, it was a very, like, nobody really talked much that day. Um, but yeah. we decided, okay, we need to just like figure this out. Let's, let's meet tomorrow morning and we'll talk about it. Uh, and we'll get this straightened out. Um, and I was like, oh shit, are people even going to show up tomorrow? Cause like, this is not looking good, but no, yeah. every single one showed up, uh, in the living room that morning. Everybody was like super energetic. I'd already gotten coffee before I even woke up and, um, we sat down, the guy that walked out was like, came up to me and was like, dude, I'm so sorry. Like, this is not your fault. We we're in this together. We got this, like, let's, let's that. figure this shit out. Um, which was incredible. Um, and we sat down, we decided, okay, this is not the end. What do we need? Cause like, before we even started fundraising, we knew we were scrapping. Like we were planning on just bootstrapping this shit. Like, why did we get in our heads that we needed all this capital? Let's just figure out what do we need for us to be able to bring Austin full-time to be able to just build the main product. Um, Because at the time, we had a very big uh, customer that we had already talked to. They just needed the platform to get revamped. And then we had a $300,000 deal uh, settled. So we were like, okay, shit, what what does it take to get it there? Um, And we figured out $20,000. So we were like, okay, let's just call some old investors that had passed. Let's call some friends, family. Let's call like everybody in our contact book. Uh, and this was like a Saturday morning at like 11 a.m. Um, within four hours, uh, we had gotten uh, $68,000 worth of precious gemstones uh, and $338,000 worth of cash committed. 
Um, and <laughs> yeah, so I was like, holy shit. Okay, I guess we ended up finishing the round after all. <laughs> it was like, uh, I called my contact at the other investor, uh, investor's firm and was like, okay, uh, I got some news. I'm pretty sure when he like hung up on me, it was like, I think we have to talk tomorrow. He was expecting me to just call to like bitch at him or like cry. <laughs> but when I finally got on the call with him on Sunday and told him the situation, he was like, there's no fucking way. I need to talk to all of these investors. Uh, <laughs> so we did that the following week and everything worked out. So, but yeah, that was a whole 180. I mean, shit, like that same week. Precious gemstones? <laughs> yeah, it was the weirdest thing. No, it was something that wasn't even, a, like, I would have never seen that coming, but that's actually what started kind of like the influx of commitments like yeah. this was um, a great guy, uh, Baker. He was uh, actually the high school teacher that taught Austin how to code. And he had wow. previously been working uh, with for some companies in the Middle East, like earlier career, uh, where he was actually getting bonuses paid, like paid out in like precious gemstones. So he was getting these like gemstones <laughs> that he had like collected. And he was like, dude, I don't have any cash, but you can like take all my gemstones. And we're like, the fuck? But, <laughs> but we we're like, hell yeah, let's do it. Uh, so <laughs> that was actually the first commitment we got. And that was like 20 minutes into us like deciding to, to start calling people up. So that's what really started the kind of like influx and all the like yeah, the snowball avalanche effect. Yeah. Well, when you followed up with the other investors, did you tell them that the sixty-eight thousand you had committed was in gemstones, or did you just say you had sixty-eight thousand committed? Uh, yes, I'm pretty sure that was what triggered him to say I need to talk to these people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that was uh, yeah, that was like probably the weirdest thing I could have ever imagined. But also, yeah. like now it's been such a central part of our company. Uh, like product releases are like the coloring and the uh, the carrots of the actual gemstones. So we have like pigeon blood and uh, <laughs> like pigeon That's blood so emerald. Cool. And stuff. Yeah, so it's I mean awful name for a color for a gemstone, but <laughs> this is not what we what we show outward though. Dude, that is so awesome. Man. Well, I mean, kind of to before Faraj wraps this up, I wanted to ask so the vision. What, what yeah, what what what's the vision, but also like what founders or what people is is your product best for? Yeah, so the vision, the overall vision is of course taking this uh, worldwide. Uh, right now, like there at least in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of uh, hype around text and a bunch of kind of like the space have gotten really busy. Um, more so in the sense of like just using it for a way for e-commerce to communicate just kind of one way. Um, but here, like, yes, we can be innovative in the sense of like helping people communicate way more personal and like more or less automating the human touch. Um, but the real revolutionary uh, kind of vision here is worldwide. Like mm -hmm. here in the US, um, you can expect like, oh, yeah, you get a text from uh your like favorite coffee shop or your favorite bar is saying like hey Farage, thank you so much for dropping by yesterday um uh, i know you love guinness uh so drop by next friday out and seek me out and i'll make sure that you get your first pint for free that's like wow. all, like Farage could have been like okay that's cool but there i've seen this kind of automation before this is probably automated but imagine that exact same like communication exchange in dublin like where somebody drop by a bar, you get a text from the bartender um, saying that exact same phrase, 
that is something that has never been seen before. Um, and kind of like the ROI implication of that is just beyond uh, what I can even imagine. So that's that's like the excitement there because uh, 10 digit kind of local text messages. Yes, it's been available, not in the personalized way that we can do uh, yeah. in the US, but it's been available in the US, uh, but that has never been available, no code outside of the US. Wow. So that's the big thing. But, but yeah, I mean, as far as customers and everything, like the biggest kind of like effect that we're seeing uh, is for like multi-location, uh, retail, as well as um, just like e-commerce companies. Like fr- like franchises, like multi-location retail franchises? Yeah, just like multi-location retail franchises. Because it's like headquarters can structure the messages to go out from that location to just the customers that's around that location. So when wow. they get a message that comes out like, hey, Farge, we just got in an amazing hoodie. You're going to have to check it out. I know you'll love it. Uh, let me know if you want me to keep it like under the... Uh, behind the counter for you so you can drop by after work um, then you can just call in and you will reach that specific location that's closest to you saying like hey yeah no please keep that off for me or just text them and it'll reach that specific location um, so that way it's extremely personal and there's really no way for the customer to not feel or know that it is that location that sent out that communication so at like a uh, global chain kind of uh, point of view it it allows them to give that customer experience without having to build out a customer success team or a call center or any infrastructure at all, really, because it is the people that you've already trained in the store that handles that personal communication. Yeah, man, it's wild. So like my co-founder, Z, his uh, cannabis retail store, Canicures, uh, did a little experiment with RespondFlow and now they use them actively. But what, like, you saw, like, a like a 2,900% like, spike in sales or something like that. <laughs> yeah, no, it was freaking wild. Yeah, we've seen some crazy ROIs. I mean, we've yeah. seen, like, there was, like, for a clinic, also saw, like, uh, $38,000, wow. I think, in revenue uh, just wow. on a $9 message spend. Um, and I, we've seen also like a bunch of cannabis dispensaries seeing like 280% increase in sales week over week. And then additionally also per customer is increasing spend by 20%. So it's, it's insane. It's just like from the, the kind of aspect of let's just make your bud tender or your service worker or your bartender, like the customer's best friend, like let them seem like they remember what their customer loves and just build that relationship. I love that. And I personally, I, I told Peter, I, I snoozed this email for like two months. I'm just like, I'm super stressed with everything going on with WeStrive. But I also like, I, I think it was definitely a, an application for RespondFlow to be a part of WeStrive at some points because we, all of our trainers are always on their phones. So I think it's going to be a, a cool thing that we add eventually. But I just been No, a that's long, awesome. Slow to get there, you know, a little, little slow. Um, right. <laughs> no, I totally get that. Well, thank you so much, Martin Langella Leanne, for making the time to hop on the Building Fires podcast. Now is the time where we roll out the red carpet and let you hit us with your social media handles, where we can find you, and what we would love to. So go ahead and pop off, King. <laughs> hey, thank you for finishing us off uh, there, Farhash. Uh, (laughs) yeah so the best place to uh, hit me up is definitely on the linkedin or twitter uh twitter i promised i was going to be more active but life happened uh so i'm getting back to that now Uh, my twitter handle is martin l leon 
Um, or you can hit me up on uh, LinkedIn, Martin Langelo Leon. Um, but yeah, that's definitely the best places. Amazing. Well, thanks so much, man. I'm so excited for the future that Responsible has ahead. You know, let's turn let's turn Oklahoma around, dude. Let's do it. Love it, man. Awesome, Martin. Well, I appreciate you coming on, man. I can't wait to head up Tulsa maybe next weekend and see what goes on. Maybe and next weekend, we'll see how it goes. Take take uh, take advantage of that wraparound balcony. That's right. That's <laughs> Let's right. do it. <laughs> you guys are more than welcome. Awesome, man. Well, Amazing. cool. You have an awesome day, man. Best of luck with uh, you know the rest of your company journey, and we'll uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Take care, man. Boomer. Thanks, everyone, so much for tuning in to the Building Fires podcast. Yeah, man, we're planning on dropping episodes every Monday, talking to some amazing guests and giving you the content you deserve. Boom. Farhaj and I are so grateful for you guys. Oh, for, no. Oh. no, I can I can edit this. I know. Uh, Farhaj and I are so grateful for all of your support. If you can, please leave five stars and a review on your podcast app, whichever one you use. Farhaj and I would definitely appreciate it. I'm trying to get our uh, little podcast seo up <laughs> yeah man well you know looking forward to seeing you next week and we're excited to make Ugh, one second <laughs> looking forward to seeing you next week we got some exciting guests for you boom guests for you like guests for you <laughs> you scurvy curs <laughs> <laughs> <Boom. Arr. laughs>